Today's episode of That Song from That Movie is coming up after these messages. Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove podcast. My name is Russ, and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jams, so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought-provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove podcast on your favorite podcast platform today. We are back for our final look at the 0070s, which means it's time to finish up our roundup of all the songs and then decide what we think is the best song and the worst song on today's That Song From That Movie. Welcome to That Song From That Movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. This is part two of our look at the James Bond songs of the 1970s. So we're just going to pick up exactly where we left off last time. So it's over to you, Ben. Okay, so I'm up now. The fourth Bond film of the 1970s and 10th overall was The Spy Who Loved Me. It was the third Roger Moore Bond film and it was directed by Louis Gilbert in his second Bond film after directing You Only Live Twice. In this one, we see Bond go up against another megalomaniac, this time a shipping magnate, Carl <laughs> Stromberg, and his deadly henchman Jaws, a seven-foot giant with terrifying steel teeth. What a guy he was. Was this the first time Jaws appears? Yes. He's only in this and the next one. Oh, is he? Right. Yeah. How did he come up with the name? Jaws? In fact, what year are we on? I don't think I've actually noted down the year. 77. Yeah, I mean, when did Jaws come out? I just meant because of his teeth. Yeah, Ben, I think he was just... <laughs> I'm just thinking if like, there was a, if the actual shark film came out before. Anywho, the song from The Spy Who Loved Me was Nobody Does It Better, as performed by the American musician Carly Simon. What do people think of this one? I love this song. I really do. But I essentially love anything Carly Simon does. She has an amazing voice. <laughs> she sort of lulls you in and you just feel warm like a big hug. Big hug from Carly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely one of the best ones. And it's actually one of the ones that everyone remembers. And like, if you were asking, like, what's the best song, best Bond song, I bet a lot of people would think of this one straight away off the top of the head. Which is weird because it's obviously not the same name as the film. But I think it's one that people yeah. just automatically remember. Why didn't they name it? Uh, well, oh, wait, maybe yeah. this might be in your notes. No, sorry. I mean, technically, this is this is classed as the first official, official Bond theme that doesn't use the title of the film since Doctor No. Yeah. But it's weird because it's it, the line, it, the name of the film is in the song, isn't it? It it yeah. does say it, so it's weird that they just didn't like try and you know shoehorn it as the name. Doesn't say it anywhere why they chose that. Like it wasn't written by Callie Simon, so I think he, he, I don't. I honestly don't know why you would go for that because, like you say, it does say the name of the film. Yeah, was it written by John Barry? Uh, no, well, no. I'm just trying to think of the sexual innuendo in the song. <laughs> very, very interesting. John Barry did not do the soundtrack for The Spy Who Loved Me as he was unavailable for tax reasons and he could not work in the UK. Too many trips abroad. Yeah, all that stuff in Turkey catching back up with him. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah, he's not doing his tax returns. Silly John. Oh, John. I thought it would have been on a real journey with John. <laughs> yeah. I th- he's going to come back, don't you worry? He oh, comes good, back. good. 
he managed to sort out his tax problems somehow. But yeah, the soundtrack was given to Marvin Hamlish, who was at the time one of the hottest composers in the business. And he'd just come off Oscar wins. Uh, it might have been back-to-back Oscar wins for The Way We Were and The, the Sting. So he did those songs. Oh, so he actually did uh, the song from The Way We Were that beat uh, Live and Let Die yep. to the Oscar. Yep. He has an ego. Does he? Unlike Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> what a callback. He's throwing these callbacks constantly, I know. And Alex, I don't want you to be disappointed by the lack of John Barry and the feeling that that would sort of reduce the terrible sexual commentary in these films. <laughs> Because a lot of people, David Elric of the Rolling Stone magazine said that the song is a lush drunk anthem that is an ode to Bond's sexual prowess. Ah, good. (laughs) There you go, because nobody does it better. Nobody does it better. And if, you know, when you think of people that, you know, the sexiest people that exist in, in music and film, Tom York of Radiohead. One said, this is the sexiest song ever written. And if there's one thing I associate with Tom York, it's sexy. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. <laughs> it's very easy to, but yeah. So <laughs> I even, even I couldn't take myself seriously. Sorry, Tom. I know you're listening. <laughs> it can be the one vote. <laughs> no, the two votes. He's a big fan of Lulu. Yeah, I mean the song had immediate success around the world. It reached number two in the states and number seven in the UK. And the American Film Institute. Uh, ranked it the 67th greatest song of all time as part of their 100-year series. So that's the 67th greatest song in film. Was that the highest Bond one? Do you know? I think... uh, No, I don't think it is, actually. I didn't look at the full list. I've looked at it before, but I think there are some higher. But it's still pretty decent. Mm. And similar, it received a nomination for Best Original Song at the 1977 Oscars, losing out to the song You Light Up My Life from the film of the same name. Never heard of it. No? Never heard of it. Nope. But apparently this was the first time that both song and score for a Bond film were nominated, and both lost. Not a great start, but... I can't believe none know. of John Barry's scores ever were nominated. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, because the other one that was nominated was Paul McCartney. <laughs> yep. So that's obviously the way to go. If you want to get it you know, acknowledged by the Academy, don't let John Barry touch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep following those tax returns. I mean, it's officially Callie Simon's longest charting hit as well as her most financially successful song, which surprised me because I thought, I know you're so vain. You're so vain. Yep, thank you very much, (laughs) Callie. You're welcome. I think You're So Vain did get to number one, but it spent a lot less longer in the charts, I think probably because of the Bond connection. I mean, do you you guys still see this as a Bond song, like we talked about? Yeah. That just stands on its, well, stands on its own. I think definitely. I think probably partly because... Yeah, this is a Bond song. Yeah, it's, de- it's, de- it's definitely a Bond song. <laughs> but it also could stand so. <laughs> yeah. aside. Probably because of the fact that it's not that linked in terms of the title. Although the line, Spy Love Me, can't really... That's in the song. <laughs> can't really be interpreted as anything other than being related to this film. But that's that's what makes it weirder that, that why they included it in there. Because it's the one line that feels a bit like... doesn't really make sense. Because <laughs> the song doesn't feel like it's... A, like how that line sort of just appears. It's yeah. It's unusual. I think it seems to be a lot more romantic of a song than the others. Sometimes the others seem like they're throttling you into their, um, you know, into enjoyment. Yeah. This is like, I guess, like Dietrich said, Kelly Simon's voice is very soft and whispery. Yeah, a bit similar to the Nancy Sinatra, You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Well, it's actually probably more reminiscent of the Louis Armstrong one, isn't it, I would say? Yeah, true. The one that is or is not an actual Bond song. But I think it's more along yeah. that kind of vibe. Somewhere in between maybe the Nancy Sinatra one and that one. Yeah. 
that was the fourth Bond film of the 70s. Oh, whoa, 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 the... whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to talk about the opening title credits for this oh, one. Oh, right, yes, yes, actually, yeah, this is... Uh, this is the I mean, best the many... one. <laughs> <laughs> this is... There's many women spinning around on guns. <laughs> There's trampolines. I've, I've just written trampopoline. <laughs> <Yeah>. Trampopoline! <laughs> Acrobats on guns. This one is cool. Line of women this beefy is cool. getting pushed over. <laughs> oh, yeah, there isn't there, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> this one's so good. It's, it's, I think, I think personally, it's the best one so far of any of the films we've done. Not just the 70s. It's my favourite one. The bit when you watch it again, and there's a bit when Roger Moore comes up, and it looks like he's been thrown into the air. He looks so uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like he's on the trampoline, but then he hits it with like a crunch. He doesn't jump again. It's like he's thrown into the air. I love it. He was double jumped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, double jumped. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's the most inventive out of all of the ones so far. It's just, it's just. There's so much going on with this one. I love it. Yeah, I think I think it's probably the coolest one we've had so yeah. far. Yeah, probably. It really feels like they were having fun making yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Other than maybe Roger Moore's hip, apparently. And I think I think yeah, <laughs> that that credits with this song as well. I think is probably the best combo. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd go with that. Are you, are you happy with that, Alex? Yeah. Can I move I on? Mean, we didn't mention the car. The, is I think this is the film with the underwater car, isn't it? It is the film with the underwater car. Yes, it's a classic. It's an absolute classic. That's what I mean. I think they, I think they're mo- the Roger Moore films are more memorable because they just throw in these sort of cool gadget scenes. Yeah. And yes, the plots get even more. Some of them get even more ridiculous now. And even more so as we move on to Moonraker. <laughs> so the fifth and final Bond film of the 1970s was the 1979 movie Moonraker. It was the fourth Roger Moore film and third to be directed by Louis Gilbert. Here we see Bond jump around from Venice, Rio de Janeiro, and then into outer space as he comes up against Hugo Drax, what a name, and Jaws again to save all human life on Earth. Nothing small, no rest. I mean, do people remember this film? Because it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> I do remember the moon bits. Doesn't Hugo, does Hugo Drax get blown out of the, out of like a hatch? I don't, I don't remember actually. I thought this one's kind of is always a bit lost to me a bit. I do remember the fact that there is a part in space on the moon, but I don't I don't remember most of the rest of it. I literally only remember the end. I literally only remember the bit when they go to space. And Jaws, I mean Jaws apparently was planned to be like a long-running villain for Bond, like you know, a sort of arch-rival sort of thing in the, you know, always a lot of sort of combat scenes. But apparently he was yeah. so well liked by audiences that they thought they'd just give him a happy ending. I mean, it's not really a happy ending. He dies, but he's sort of with this like he gets like a girlfriend yeah. <laughs> and they're kind of waving off as it explodes. So yeah, you know, I guess that's a good ending apparently. Am I right in thinking that this film was very quickly put together because of Star Wars? Well, yes, they at the time it was the only Ian Fleming novel that hadn't been adapted and they were going to move straight on to For Your Eyes Only. I don't know if that is the next Bond film. It is, yeah. Yeah, but because of Star Wars and Close Encounters doing so well at the box office, they quickly put it together and wanted some of those um, galactic credits, I guess. <laughs> galactic credits. <laughs> so yeah, they obviously tried to cash in on their space. Yeah, Bond in space, it works. You know, Jason in space, Leprechaun in space. It always works out. <laughs> For some reason, when you said Jason in Space, my actual first thought was like that was a sequel to Jason in the Argonauts, <laughs> rather than Friday the 13th. Yeah, Jason X, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, uh, Moonraker had a combined budget more than the last six Bond films, <laughs> so they really threw money at this one. And yes, as for the song, for Moonraker, the theme song was performed again by Dame Shirley Bassey, making it her third Bond song, and obviously holding the record for the most Bond songs. 
The song is self-titled Moonraker. Uh, what do people think of this one? I think we've kind of alluded to it already, but personally, I think it's pants. <laughs> pretty terrible. Yeah, pretty terrible. It's definitely the worst shit that's in. Considering the other two are like probably up there with the best ones, this one does fall far from it, doesn't it? This one feels it more does. comparable to Thunderbolt. Well, guess who returned for this one, guys? <laughs> Yay! He's back. Paid his <laughs> from taxes. the moon. <laughs> He's back from this holiday on the moon. He needs to get inspiration. <laughs> John Barry was famously the fourth astronaut on the <laughs> first Apollo moon landing. All I can, all I can think of is get, make sure you get some of that moon. What is it moon money for me in my kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> Lots <laughs> of Simpsons references today. Yeah. <laughs> no doubts, McCutcheon. John Barry initially intended. <laughs> John Barry initially intended for Frank Sinatra for the vocals of the song. I think Frank had been approached previously for others, um, but refused. So John Barry turned to Johnny Mathis, who they wrote a song for, uh, and I, I think they got quite close to sort of producing this and putting it out, and then he, Johnny Mathis just walked away from it, said he just didn't like the song. And I think they only had something like four weeks left to actually get the song done. Why does this keep happening? Because uh, John Barry's always on holiday, and he thinks <laughs> he can, he's done it so many times now, and he, he thinks he can just pull it out of his ass. I feel we've done. This is the eleventh film we've talked about about James Bond, and nearly everyone has a story of three weeks to record and write the song. <laughs> yep, sounds like. Well, it, it sounds like all the ones that are in that situation are the John Barrys. Yep, and they're all pretty much the ones that are terrible. <laughs> yeah, basically. So right at the last minute, Kate Bush was approached, twenty year old Ooh, at the time, but that would have been pretty good. That would have been good. Yeah, it would have been good, wouldn't it? She was on tour at the time, so I think there was a clash, and obviously they had such short time. So, John Barry, guess where he was when he ran into Dame Shirley Bassey? Where does John Barry love to be? The moon? His bed. Oh. Uh, no, Turkey? <laughs> somewhere in between. A bar in it Turkey? Was, it was a bar, yes, it, <laughs> it was, was a bar. bar. That's where I was going for. Was it Vegas? Yeah. I, I like how we've got this image of like John Barry being this absolute sleaze fighting <laughs> maestro. <laughs> Was it in Soho? It wasn't actually, no. It was slightly more upmarket. It was the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And he ran into Dame Shelley Bassey. And I think they were good friends at the time. Yeah, I think, did we not? We maybe covered. Did, were they not dating, actually, at one point? They were dating at the time of Goldfinger. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I thought it had come up in the last one. Yeah, so basically he said, you know, do us a favour, Shirley. I'm imagining that voice. <laughs> Go on, Shirley. Go on, Shirley. Do us a favour, Shirley. <laughs> There's a trip to the moon in it for you. <laughs> Take you to the stars, Shirley. <laughs> There'll only be a few innuendos this time, I swear. I, swear. <laughs> I mean, I've not got the lyrics in front of me to know if there are, but... Um, oh, it's got this on yeah, the recordings were done very quickly to the point where Dame Shirley herself wasn't happy with the song. She doesn't like the song. To this day, she still does not consider it as her own song. She never really performed it or promoted it at the time. And she says she only did the song for a favour to Barry. And it shows. Do you think that's a blemish on her? Or do you think it doesn't matter because Goldfinger and Diamonds are forever as such massive songs? I don't think it's, I don't a, think blemish. it's a blemish. No, I just think it's a shame. That she had to do it. <laughs> Against her will. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, I don't know. I just, I don't think it diminishes the other two. I think it's just, if you look at it on its own line, it's just not as good. It does feel, again, it feels rushed. It feels like, like with Thunderball, like uh, we, we discussed, obviously, quite in depth. I don't think was terrible, but it felt like, as Dee said, when he talked about the making of it, it felt rushed. And this one feels rushed again. Yeah. 
and that's why yeah. it doesn't it just doesn't have the same feel as some of the others. No, I agree. I don't feel like when the actual line of Moonraker said, I don't think it actually fits with the beat of the song. No, it doesn't. It's quite jumpy at that point in the song, but she's sort of just going, just as the Moonraker uh, moon does, sort of thing. Like, <laughs> it's like sort of just throwing it in there, just exactly. hoping it works. I just don't think it's memorable at all, really. I mean, I was just checking again, quoted that three times, I think, Rolling Stones magazine, when they did this list, they put this 10th, so quite high. What? Yeah, exactly. This was the only one where I... Before we did this recording, I was like, I better listen to that one again because I can't remember how it goes. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was the only one that I had no idea what it sounds like. Yeah. And I actually remember I was sat speaking to my dad talking about this and he, he could not recall what Moonraker was like. And my, I'd say my dad knows quite a lot about Bond. I mean, Shirley Bassey obviously did not promote it. The soundtrack did very poorly on the whole. The song failed to chart. I think it might have just gone 41, I think, when it came out. So just outside the top 40 in the UK. And then, you know, quickly crumpled. So yeah, it's just a bit of a, ugh, you know, Moonraker to me is a laughing stock of a film. <laughs> Do you want to know how to improve Moon- the Moonraker song? Uh, go on. Just sing it to Goldfinger. Moonraker. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that sums up the James Bond films of the... 1970s. So now we move on to the, well, the sort of new ultimate question, not as new as before, of best and worst. So we'll say what we think is the best song of the 1970s, James Bond-wise, and then we'll say what we think is the worst. So let's start with the best. Alex, you can go first. What is the best 1970s James Bond song? Ooh, okay. I, it's very difficult. It's between two for me. Either Live and Let Die or The Spy Who Loved Me. I think I'm I'm actually going to go for Live and Let Die. I think before we did this thing, if someone would have asked me what my favourite Bond song was, I might have said The Spy Who Loved Me. But I'm going to say Live and Let Die in this case, just because I think it's more of a... Uh, it's kind of like a classic Bond song, but it has like a different, t- slightly different take on it. Whereas I think the Carly Simon one is probably one of the best songs out of all of the Bond songs. But maybe it does it's not quite a Bond song. I don't know. And it's this is question about what is like a Bond song, I suppose. But yeah, I'm gonna say Living My Dies. So. Okay, Ben. Yeah, I keep. I'm just. I'm jumping about in my head. I guess on a similar train of thought to Alex. If I, if you to ask me away from this where I've sat down and listened to all five again, I probably would have jumped to Live and Let Die. But listening to them, sit with them, each of them, nobody does it better. It just sounds a better song. But there's obviously something about it that doesn't stick in as good fortune in my memory. And I don't know if that's because it's Paul McCartney and he's a, a bigger sort of name and face that you see around and he's you know he's kind of never wilted in mainstream music basically so you're always reminded of him and i don't know if that's just why it sticks better in my head but if i had to just go based on a song as listening to them just now i would say nobody does it better but you know if you ask me probably in a year's time i might i might be different well to complete this for me it is also a toss-up between two songs live and let die or nobody does it better and i still can't decide (laughs) It is, it is really tough, legitimately tough, to figure out which one is, is better. Because I think if you ask me tomorrow, I'll say Live and Let Die. You ask me the day after that, I'll say Nobody Does It Better, and I'll just keep flip-flopping for the rest of time. Yeah, it's so difficult, isn't it? They're so different as well. 
Because I think like the opening credits with the Nobody Does It Better, I really loved. I thought it was because of like I said, it was, I thought it was the best opening credits, and with the song combined, it was like a great, really great. But then when you listen to Live and Let Die, just normally it's just like it, it just it has it's more of a uh, I think it has more of like a presence, probably because it's louder yes. and it's got that sort of like bit in the middle where it changes it up. It's just I think there's just more happening. But I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I suppose it maybe depends on what kind of mood you're in. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's actually a good point because I was kind of just sitting, listening, sort of at my computer to the songs, and maybe if I was sort of like out and I was doing something and a bit more sort of like kinetic, then maybe something like Live and Let Die I'd be more up for. Not something I'm probably just going to sit while I'm working, unless I really want to get something done. <laughs> Race against the clock. But yeah, I think that's a good point. Actually, I, I think they're very mood dependent. Do you think it's just to throw a third option in there? I think a lot of people, like, if you thought of, like, had to think of James Bond songs, a lot of people probably would think instantly of Diamonds Are Forever, but we in agreement that's probably not as good as these two. Yeah, and it's not even as good as Chelly Bassey's previous work. (laughs) But it is better than her later work. They get progressively worse. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, that is true. But people would probably say, could potentially say that it's, like, more of an iconic Bond song, Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, I think we covered it quite well in that... I think her delivery of those three words is the song. <laughs> and the... And she just does it so well. You know, in a, in a very similar way. I mean, Goldfinger is a better song as a full, but just her delivery of Goldfinger is more or less the, the fame is synonymous. You know, a lot of people probably can't remember the full lyrics of the songs, but it's just the, her delivery of the names of the films that I think helps it stick in your mind because she's just got that such a way of capturing it. And then there's just Moonraker, which seems very forced. <laughs> You can almost tell in her voice that she's like, what the hell is a Moonraker? Are we allowed to say we've got dual champions then because this is, it, it's too tough? Well, it's up, to, it's up to the listeners to decide. Put it to the public vote, yeah. I mean, we have to say the 70s versus 60s, what, what we're thinking. I think personally, on a whole, it's better. But I, I maybe can see, like you guys said, that there are a couple. Like me, I said originally there were no duds, but maybe you are right, there's a couple there. I think there's three really great ones. There's a definite line, like yeah. an over-under. Yeah, I mean, because there was only five proper songs, weren't there, in the 60s? Because if we're not counting the first one. <laughs> um, and I think as a five, these are there. Yeah. I'd sort of say it's almost a, a wash. Like, it, they're sort of... They're about even out. If you go five-five, you've sort of got the same problem of three are good, two are all right. <laughs> two are all right. Yeah, I just think the three that are good in this... Well, I think the two that we mentioned in the beginning are... I prefer both of them to any of the ones in the 60s. Well, classic, that song from that movie, Rules. If you had to get... The loser, basically, you get rid of them from time and space. Um, which ones are you... A rule made up by you. <laughs> which ones are you willing to get rid of? Which ones that can you link, you know? Could you... I'd get rid of the 60s ones. You would get rid of the 60s ones? Yeah. I'm just gone rid of the 60s. Yeah. Dame Shirley is turning in a grave, even though she's not dead. Yeah, I'd want to keep the 70s, I guess. I'd keep the 60s films. <laughs> You keep the sixties films, but get rid of the get rid of the sixties songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely true. Sorry, Roger. Maybe you could have like a little lockdown project where you try redo the credits with the, the alternative <laughs> songs. But I just put the Spy Who Loved Me credits on all of the films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even it's Roger Moore. Just you over the top uh, saying, "On Her Majesty's Secret Service." <laughs> <laughs> little side projects for you there, Alex. Yeah, so yeah, I'll get on. Keep you busy. So, between the three of us, we sort of agree that two are almost interchangeable as the winners. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. And then, I guess moving on to the worst, we're all going to be in agreement here that there are two interchangeable at the bottom. (laughs) I disagree. 
Isn't as unobvious. Be- because Lulu is very obviously at the bottom. I, I think the Moonraker's forgettable. Yeah, okay. I think it's forgettable. It's not great, but it's still it's still Dame Shirley Bassey. She's still got cracking. I just don't like I don't really like hearing Lulu's voice. But do you think that actually <laughs> the fact that sh- the song that Shirley, the Moonraker song with Shirley Bassey is worse for the fact that it should have been better? Worse for the fact that it should have been better. Yeah, because it should have been better because it was Shirley Bassey. He has expectations <laughs> upon it. Well, yeah, but I imagine if it imagine if it wasn't Shirley Bassey. Imagine if he just had to. There was only him in that bar, and he had to pull some Lassie who was just playing the piano for a. You know, <laughs> we probably did try that. Billy Joel style, knowing John Barry as we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As we do, so, <laughs> so very well. What are we gonna do when he disappears? <laughs> when does he disappear? Yeah, hopefully never. It's got. I mean, to be fair, they do say that you, you know. You die twice, once when you actually die, and the second when someone stops mentioning your name, and we will never do that. You only live twice. You only live twice, yeah. But that implies that you would only die twice, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Lulu's, Lulu's garbage. Not, no, not the person, but the song. <laughs> Sorry, Lulu. <laughs> I think the Lulu one just really does miss the the bow, doesn't it? It's like, it just doesn't quite, it's just not quite right. I think it is the tempo, like we discussed earlier. I think it's better than some of the ones from the 60s, but I don't think... I think it probably is the worst one, actually. But I don't like Moonraker either. If we're ignoring Dr. No's Kingston Calypso, then I would say that this Lulu song is worse than all the songs in the 60s. (laughs) I think I like that there's a bit of enthusiasm. There's a bit of gusto and enthusiasm behind it. It doesn't come off. It doesn't work, but it is there. And that's I kind of appreciate that. And they tried something else. It just was wrong. It was just all wrong. It's wrong. I'm trying to think what the Lulu song would actually fit to, as in what style of movie. If we're not saying it's not right for a Bond film, like what would it fit on? Is it? Is the, are we talking about another TV show theme song, like a syndicated show from America, like Walker Texas Ranger, for example? <laughs> Martial Law. Yeah, maybe it has been like of a Western feel. Feel free to jump in with your own sixties <laughs> and seventies and eighties uh, TV shows. No, I'm enjoying listening to you. Real Absolutely life. fine. Magnum PI. Keep going. I don't. I honestly don't know. I, I think. I feel like maybe it could be like more like a, maybe a Western. <laughs> it does sound a bit Western inspired. You thought that about Goldfinger? <laughs> so imagine, like, imagine you've got Eli Wallach, Lee Van Cleef, and Clint Eastwood on a squ- squaring off. <laughs> Good, the bad, and the ugly, and you and you've just got. The man with the golden gun. I didn't mean a film. I didn't mean a film. I meant more like with those like cheap Western TV shows. <laughs> all square, all their eyes left and right, and Lulu's just there <laughs> screaming away. <laughs> it doesn't fit with anything. <laughs> it's a square song, and every every film is a circle hole. <laughs> Spoken like John Barry. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, you'd be proud of me. We really do not give a good impression of John Barry on this podcast, do we? He's a legend. He's an absolute legend. He just tax dodged. Fellow Yorkshireman. Is he? <laughs> oh, delete the podcast. We need to restart this. I feel like all we're doing is oh. reporting the facts. And if that, if he comes across poorly in those facts. <laughs> I don't think we are. I'm pretty sure we, <laughs> we, we did many bad impressions of the boy. I am currently looking at his personal life and death section on Wikipedia. I think it just started poorly because he had the um, the rights issue, didn't he, about the original song? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was him that was having the argument. We snowballed from there, and we painted him clearly in a negative light. If any uh, members of the Barry family are listening, he was a stand-up man who never did anything wrong. But he did dodge taxes. <laughs> facts? We keep with the facts. Yeah. Got, actually, got that here. So he was accused of avoiding to pay £134,000 due to the inline revenue. 
gosh. He moved to California to avoid paying it, basically. And that's where he bumped into Shelley Bassey in the uh, in the bar. Yeah, it all adds up. So, yeah, we're all in agreement there. Lulu's at the bottom. I think yeah. we can agree. Okay, so that concludes our second ever special. So we'll do another poll, and we'll split into semi-finals, and then a final. In fact, the first semi-final will already be finished by the time you've listened to this, because it would have been last week. So the final will be going live at some point in the next few days. All right, now, look on Twitter, you'll find us, and you'll find a comment from Lulu as the one person that's voted for the man with the golden gun. I hope that's true. I hope it happens that way. Okay, right, so I guess all that's left now is to do a few goodbyes, because I think I've said our Twitter handle enough times across these two episodes. So it's goodbye from me, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. Why don't they just put a chalk ice on a stick? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. And goodbye from Ben. I always did love you, Lulu. Always have, always will. (laughs) But your song's terrible. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Also recording, I'm going to check whether or not she has Twitter. Man with the golden gun. Uh, she does have a Twitter <laughs> called Lulu Shouts. You know you make me wanna. Hey. Oh, she, she's active. She's active. We can. Mm. We can. She's okay, active. right. Listen, let's do this. Right, when these episodes go live, tag Lulu in every. I single really episode. don't want Lulu to listen to me. <laughs> And if you know anyone from the John Barry family who wants to listen to this episode, tag them in it too. But don't sue. Oh, us. that's fine. That's fine. I think John. I think the John Barry family will approve of our views of him. You know, we've gone all in. No sense going out half cocked. Brilliant. <laughs>